sequentially through uh, this passage. So Luke 23, we're actually focusing on a few key uh, moments of Jesus and his way to the cross. So uh, verse 26, verse 32, and then verses 39 to 43 are what's going to be the focus of our time uh, tonight. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll read through the, the passage together, make some observations, give you a little bit of uh, insight before we dismiss you to your group. So let's pray. Father, after uh, transitioning off of just the activities outside, it's, uh, it's been good. It's been really nice to be uh, back outside, nice weather, being able to play, be able to see the, the green grass, the, the flowers blooming. Um, Really, this is a time of year that reminds us of the newness of life that you bring. And so we just want to appreciate that. And we're going to pray now that as we transition off that time and we, we give attention over the next 20 minutes to study your word, that you give us uh, focus, that you give us wisdom and clarity. But above all, Lord, my, my prayer for our students is that they would see the amazing grace of Jesus in the story. And that even somehow they might see themselves within it, uh, especially with these uh, men that encounter Jesus in his most desperate of hours. So give us uh, grace on our study now and bless the time in small groups later. We would ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke uh, 23 uh, is where we're going to be again with your study guides, week 19. Uh, so let's stand. We're going to read it together. Um, again, I'm going to jump around uh, verse 26, verse 32, and verse 39. So starting in verse 26. Luke writes this and says, As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So this is, uh, again, this is our second last uh, study that we're going to be doing this, uh, this year. And this is perhaps one of the most unique of uh, encounters that Jesus has because this is Jesus encountering people uh, in his final hours of life and in their final hours of life. Uh, very fascinating account and one that you probably are like, okay, so what are we supposed to gain out of this encounter? After you studied through it, as you look through who the different people are involved in this account, uh, there's really not as much interaction uh, and dialogue as featured in most of the other encounters that we've studied this whole year. And so it, it is a more unique one. Uh, but I actually think this has become, over the years, uh, one of my favorite sections of Jesus' ministry because it shows that Jesus does not waste even the final moments of his life to show grace and compassion 
towards others. And so um, my hope tonight is just to draw that out a little bit more uh, in ways maybe that you have not seen uh, previously. So hopefully as you did your study this week, you looked through the people, the situations, the response, the outcomes, uh, as you were formulating a, a main point, uh, I'd be kind of curious. Uh, anybody want to share their main point that they came up of what this encounter teaches you about Jesus? Well, maybe there are some ideas that came to mind as you were studying it. Send the school here. You can do this. I have full confidence. Anybody want to share? Or was it that challenging of a one to, to come up with? Yeah. Jesus doesn't show any less compassion for people like criminals. Okay. Yeah, that, that Jesus does not show any less compassion for even people like criminals, right? Okay. I love it. Very good. What else? Anything else? Yeah. He doesn't waste what? Yeah, Jesus doesn't waste trials. I love that. And particularly, the, the, the part of this that's really unique is, you know, we, we kind of can focus in on the, uh, the criminal, but there's another guy that Jesus encounters in the story. A guy by the name of what? Simon. You know, like, Simon gets like one sentence in every single one of the Gospels, and that's kind of all you know about him for the most part. But I want to draw something out for you that I think is pretty fascinating from the story. So my main point that I want you to, to, to grasp onto that as I, I look through this passage, I think that this is kind of what comes to my mind here is that this encounter teaches me that Jesus changes the lives of the most unexpecting people. Jesus changes the lives of the most unexpecting people. Because I think that's really what you have with both Simon and the criminal on the cross are two men who did not expect to meet Jesus, met him in the most unexpected of ways, and walk away, well, not really walk away, <laughs> uh, but are changed, forever changed by this unexpected encounter. So let's look at those uh, two encounters uh, together. Let's start in verse 26, where we learn this is taking place after Jesus' trial, right? We've made a lot of ground. This is one thing that's unique about our Luke study is we're not working sequentially through the whole book. And so the last time we were here, we looked at Jesus uh, healing, uh, not healing, forgiving Zacchaeus, right? So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Zacchaeus. Uh, that was Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And so this whole Passover week has gone by. This is the week that we just celebrated as churches where you have Good Friday, where Jesus dies on Friday, you have Resurrection Sunday. So this is all part of that week, but this is Good Friday. This is the day that he has officially been sentenced to die, and they are now officially leading him away after having tortured him, beat him, uh, really shamed him. He is now officially making his way, carrying his cross to the site of Golgotha, where he will be crucified Again, it was very common in this culture for Romans to, uh, I mean, they, the, the crucifixion to them was almost an art form. They really perfected something that was a really grotesque way to, to kill people. But what added to the shame of it was that you were uh, basically given the beam that you would be crucified to, and you would have to carry that to your uh, spot. So you think about people who are given like a, a shovel to dig their own grave. That's kind of that whole mindset here of what Jesus is called to do. 
Now, the other Gospels give a little bit more uh, clarity to this, but it seems that because of the agony that Jesus endured through the beating and everything else, that his body is so weak at this point that he is not able to carry it or he's carrying it slow enough that they're trying to speed up the process. And this is where they meet a guy named Simon of Cyrene. So verse 26, they seized one Simon of Cyrene. So notice that language there. Uh, Simon was not expecting to have to do this. Simon, in many ways, is what we would call an innocent bystander. But I would even tell you that I'm not even sure I would call him a bystander in the sense that he was just waiting around looking because notice what it also says in that verse, who was coming in from the country. So keep in mind here, first of all, when it says Simon of Cyrene, Cyrene, you'll see there in your study helps, uh, Cyrene is not particularly close to Jerusalem. In fact, Cyrene is kind of what would be uh, modern-day Libya in northern Africa. And so this guy has traveled a long way. Remember, the, the Jewish people uh, had a far-reaching uh, uh, impact. And so Simon uh, was probably some type of pilgrim, a uh, Jewish uh, man who was making his way in for the, the, the celebration of the Passover. That was something that really good uh, religious Jews would do. They would venture in from all over to be a part of the festivities. We don't know if he's already been there, or uh, part of me wonders if the language here is used to describe this in the sense that Simon uh, is just arriving to Jerusalem after this long journey. Um, you know, the whole Passover feast was something that you had to go through a lot of work to make sure you were uh, ritually clean. You couldn't go to the temple to get your, uh, your lamb apart from being perfectly clean. So he's got to be clean. He's got to go and he's got to purchase a lamb. He's got to then uh, be able to be a part of the, the, the sacrifice of that lamb. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into this here. And here he is minding his own business, coming in from the countryside to do what he expects, which is to worship the, the, the one true God for this Passover feast. And here, the Romans don't give him an option. In God's providence, he is randomly selected. He is pulled out from the crowd as he's just walking by. And they say, you, pick up this man's cross and follow him to his grave. Now, if you heard what I just said a moment ago, for him to do that, why would that have been problematic for Simon? Yeah. It would make him unclean. It would make him unclean. For him to come into contact with somebody who was bloodied and beaten like this. I'll put it this way. Have you guys ever had a trip that's been ruined? <laughs> you know, I think about our group that, fortunately it wasn't completely ruined, but I think about our trip to uh, San Francisco last summer that felt like it was going to be ruined before we even got there. Um, in many ways, that's kind of what's happening here for Simon, because that means... He's no longer able to go to the temple. He's no longer able to participate in these ritual ceremonial things that they do for these uh, celebrations. I mean, this, this puts a damper on the whole trip. He now is forced to carry uh, a cross for this guy, this criminal, uh, or who he thinks is a criminal. Because, I mean, Simon hasn't been around. He doesn't know necessarily what's happening here. For all he knows, this is some deadbeat. I mean, because the only people who were crucified were the worst of criminals in that society. So for all he knows about Jesus, this guy is the worst. Innocent bystander, totally unexpecting to have this happen in his whole trip. 
goes up in flames just like that. It says that they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And guess what? That's it. That's all we know. That's all we know. And so some of us would be quick to say, well, so what's the big deal? Why, why, did, why does the Bible even include this in every single one of the gospel accounts? Why do they even mention this? What's the point? Is this encounter really all that significant? Why is this guy even named, right? Why don't they just say some bystander was given this responsibility? Well, the unfortunate thing about Luke, or not unfortunate, but the thing that I really appreciate about Mark's gospel is that Mark gives us one extra detail about Simon as Cyrene. Do you know what it is? What's the detail that Mark gives us? If you did your homework and researched those cross-references, yeah? Uh, he named Mark, or Simon of Cyrene's two sons. Yeah, he names Simon of Cyrene's two sons. He, he's listed in Mark's gospel as uh, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Rufus and Alexander. And you're like, okay, Pastor Scott, this is just getting weird. I don't understand why you're telling me this either. I promise there's a point to it. Because you're like, okay, now we're introducing more guys. But think about it. Why would Mark take the time to give you a detail about Rufus and Alexander? Well, if he's writing a, a letter, if he's writing a gospel account, and he's mentioning those people, Rufus and Alexander, that probably means that the people he's sending that gospel letter to probably know who Rufus and Alexander are, right? Kind of an interesting thought. Do we hear of either of their names later on in the Bible? I'm glad you asked, because guess what? If you were to go over to Romans chapter uh, 16, verse 13, you would learn that one of the members of the church in Rome is a man by the name of Rufus. In fact, most people believe that when Mark was writing his gospel, he was writing it particularly for the suffering Christians in Rome. And so if you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together, now we can't be dogmatic on that, but this is one of the things that make me believe that the Bible doesn't waste words, right? The Bible's not concerned about uh, using pointless people's names. I believe that God put the Bible together in such a cohesive way that he is drawing our attention to these details. What that means is that Rufus and Alexander become these prominent members in the church in Rome, and their father was the man who carried the cross for Jesus, that means in some way, in those few minutes, moments, Jesus carrying this cross, Simon alongside him, something happens in that encounter. Something in that short frame of time changes Simon's perception of who this guy is who's being crucified. Perhaps he heard the, the shouts of the crowds and the people and what they were saying about him. Perhaps he was there that weekend when Jesus rose from the dead and he heard the stories and the accounts. We don't know all the particulars of it, but something about this encounter changed Simon's life and changed the course of his family's life forever. Students, Simon wasn't expecting to meet Jesus. He had no expectations. He had no plans. In fact, it was the farthest thing from his mind. And yet God providentially, in his sovereignty, intervened into the life of Simon to change his life forever. Think about what that might mean for you. Some of you maybe have not 
planned to be a part of church activities. You don't, this is not something that really was an expectation of yours, and yet you're here. The Lord has brought you here this whole year and has constantly put before you Christ and shown you who he is and how he changes lives that didn't expect it. Or maybe hoped that Jesus would change it, but didn't know of the full power of Christ and his authority and his love and his compassion. Student, that is the Jesus that we've been talking about all year long. He's in the business of doing unexpected things. Don't resist that. Embrace that. And see the the compassion and the grace of that. And you see it especially here in this second encounter. Right? So we move on from Simon. I know we spent a lot of time on that verse, but I, I love it. For one verse, there's so much that we could talk about. But we learn in verse 32 that Jesus was not the only one being crucified that day. Two others who were listed as criminals were led away to be put to death with them. Now, again, remember... The Romans don't just crucify anyone, right? You don't just get crucified for doing, uh, you know, for taking a little apple from the market or something, right? Usually Rome was, especially for, for, for criminals, they were executing the worst of the criminals. They were uh, doing ones who would rise up against Rome, dare defy their power and their authority. Crucifixion, as we've talked about, is one of the most gruesome and awful ways to die a death. And a lot of times the reason that was done and the reason bodies were left up on the cross was so that people would walk by and it would be a constant reminder of them, don't do what this guy did. It was shameful, it was embarrassing, and it was grotesque. And that was the point. It was reserved for the worst. The worst of the worst. We don't know this for sure, but the fact that these guys were were criminals, we know that earlier in that day, Jesus uh, was trading spots with another criminal by the name of Barabbas. We don't know this for sure, but it's it's, it's possible that Barabbas could have been the one who should have been crucified that day, and these could have been companions with him in his insurrection and murderous plots that he had carried out. Again, we can't know that with certainty, but... For some reason, my, my gut tells me that there's, there's something to that, that that might make sense. But we know no matter what, these guys were ruthless. They were truly rightfully deserving of what was coming with them. And so you have the perfect, innocent son of God being crucified between these two uh, ruthless criminals. And honestly, we're, that's, that's, that, that's seen in the passage here. We see that one of the criminals who were uh, hanging there with him, we'll just call him criminal number one. He, he kind of joins in the crowds who are ridiculing Jesus, mocking him, saying, listen, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, and notice he says, if, 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 if you're not the Christ, if you, if, are you not the Christ, right? Uh, that, that's that phrase for the, the Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer of, of God's people. If that's who you are, then, then save us. Like, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen to you and to us? Like, maybe, like, let us off too. Like, we can, we can, we can rise up against these folks, whatever. Like, but why are you letting this happen? Save yourself and save us. Obviously, things haven't changed for this criminal. He's still kind of looking out for his own best interests. Has no shame over what he's done, no remorse whatsoever. Then verse 40, but the other, we'll call him criminal number two, rebuked criminal number one, saying to him, 
Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. You know what that is? That's confession. That's, that's ownership. That's him saying, listen, we're getting what we deserve. It's actually interesting in the other Gospels, we learned that at the beginning of this, both of the criminals are kind of antagonistic against Jesus. But in the hours that tick by, just as with Simon walking alongside Jesus to the cross, as the criminal listens to the things that are being said about Jesus, and the, the way he's watching Jesus respond to all the threats and all the, 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 the taunts against him, Jesus is not like other men the way he's responding. And something starts to melt in his heart. Something begins to shift and to change in him to realize there is something different about this guy. He is no ordinary man who is being crucified. Says the other criminal, we deserve this. What are you so upset about? We deserve what the Lord has brought to us. There's a genuineness, confession of sin. But not only that, verse 41, but this man, talking about Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. Complete innocence. We deserve everything that we're getting. He deserves none of this. Complete holiness, complete innocence. And this is so interesting. Verse 42. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's something really cool that's happening here in this response. Because in order for somebody to have a kingdom, what must there be? Can't have a kingdom without a what? Without a king. To acknowledge that Jesus has a kingdom. It's really for this guy to say, listen, I, I see you for who you really are. He may not knew, he may not have known every particular detail about Jesus that we would think everybody should rightfully know, but what he did know is this: Jesus was perfectly innocent. He was perfectly holy, he was perfectly righteous, and he was perfectly sovereign. He was a king. He was the one who rightfully deserved honor and worship and glory, all the things that were due unto him, and he deserved everything that was coming to him. In other words, he had a right understanding of who he was, and he had a right understanding of who God was. And notice what he does. He simply pleads for mercy. I mean, he just acknowledged, I have nothing good that I can bring. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to enter into your kingdom. I deserve rightly the punishment that I'm bearing right now. All I can say is remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He casts himself completely before the grace of Christ. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This confession, this casting himself before the grace of, of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's exactly the type of person I'm looking for. The person who's honest with themselves, acknowledges their just penalty for sin, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That is exactly what this verse is all about. To acknowledge that you deserve nothing but the wrath of God and the punishment that is due unto your name and that all you can do is plead for the mercy of Jesus and cling to him. To trust in his finished work. And guess what? That's what unites you to him. That's where the blood of Christ saves you. That's where it redeems you, where it gives you newness of life so that Jesus can look at you and say, today you will be with me in paradise. And I love it. There's only a few times that that word paradise is used. We don't hear that often used to, to speak of eternity. In fact, if you look at your study notes there, it's only used two other times in the New Testament. But it's a word that uh, suggests kind of that garden imagery, which is really sweet because the Bible begins with a perfect garden of perfect harmony and sinlessness. And the Bible in the future and the ends, the final two chapters, describe a perfect heavenly garden again where we will dwell with God forever, where sin is no more an issue. Jesus looks at him and says, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to be there with me. With that, we know that the story goes on. These, these men pass away. No repentance on the part of the first criminal, but the second criminal is able to depart from that life knowing that he has assurance that he will again see his new and righteous king in eternity. So student two, very different people in this story. Two very different backgrounds. Two very different types of lives. But two very unexpecting individuals who both radically and forever were changed by the grace of Christ. Is that not amazing? That is something that is worth marveling about tonight. And something that is going to, I hope, spark some really awesome conversation in your group. So let's pray for that. And then you're dismissed to your group time. So Father, thank you for uh, just the immense blessing to be reminded of how you work in awesome and unexpected ways. It shouldn't surprise us, Lord. That is how grace works. Grace is so different than our human work system that thinks that we need to earn favor in your sight. But Lord, you are a God of grace. You are one who says, push those things aside and come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. So help our students, Lord, do the work in their hearts that I am unable to do, that they are unable to do, but your word and your spirit are able to do to bring them conviction and bring them and draw them into your kingdom. So would you do that for your glory, we ask. Amen.